0: The following podcast contains strong language and strong opinions. Listener discretion is advised. Kia ora and welcome back to Fucking tastic a podcast about female representation in fantasy fiction literature. It is episode two. I'm a little bit late in getting this recorded and uploaded, but better late than never. We are here now and uh, I forgot last time to tell you what I was drinking. It was just wine. Today I'm having a Bloody Mary. It is uh, pretty damn delicious. It's a good recipe. I'm definitely going to keep this one on file. Uh, I'm not having vodka with it though. It is gin. My gin of choice today is Hendrix. But I would also strongly recommend if you like a Bloody Mary. uh, The Dancing Sands Wasabi Gin is really good in a Bloody Mary. So top tip for you there. Um, we may get some interruptions today from my grumpy cat because I haven't taken him for a walk today. So, should that happen, pet tax can be collected on the Twitter. So, last time we left, Alana she be, she'd been at the Black City, um, defeated the demon god things with Jonathan, and her agenda had been revealed to Jonathan. So, uh, that's that's where we left things, and she was uh, just made his squire. So, we start off. In the Hand of the Goddess, book two in this quartet, pretty much picking up where the last book left off. Um, not much time has passed. She's um, she's Jonathan Squire. So we open on Alana. She's riding through the forest, returning from uh, just like a, a like a courier trip, really. She's kind of just acting as a, a royal courier. So she's riding through the forest, and, <laughs> and she's this big fucking fat hairy spider like lands on the back of her hand falls out of a tree and she's like Like, has a small freak out which you know totally understandable spiders are gross (laughs) and she kind of like has a bit of a laugh to herself and muses over how like if if her friends at the palace had seen that or knew that she was afraid of spiders they'd say that she was acting like a girl pretty much all girls know what that's like oh you run like a girl oh you throw like a girl And she's kind of like, you know, why Why is that an insult? Why do they say that like it's a bad thing to act like a girl? So straight away, we can see that she's becoming a lot more comfortable with her gender. Like, She's like, yeah, I'm a girl. What about it? So she finds somewhere to set up camp for the night. And her spidey senses are tingling. She sneezes several times in a row, which means that there's magic afoot. And a little black cat runs into the clearing where she's setting up. She's like, oh, hey there. She picks it up and... Checks him out and he's got purple eyes just like hers. Aww. So she feeds the cat and then she gets like big time spidey senses. She has like a sneezing fit. And a beautiful stranger turns up to share her fire. She addresses Alana as my daughter. And because we know that Alana's mother died giving birth to her, that this is not actually her mother. And somehow this person knows that Squire Allen is a girl. So the stranger insists that she, that Alana needs to think about her future and what she's going to do once she's a knight. And Alana realizes that she is speaking to none other than the Great Mother Goddess, who we've encountered before, but never in person. So the Great Mother Goddess tells her that it's about time that they had a little chat face to face and that Alana needs to address her fears. So that's kind of like the big thing in this book is it's about like Alana's last kind of steps towards knighthood and her addressing her biggest fears so the goddess lays them all out and she's like you fear the chamber of the ordeal and that is the final test that Alana will have to undergo to win her shield she tells her that she fears love not just romantic love but platonic familial love as well and there's the bit where Alana explains it. It's a a good little passage. I'll read it. Um, She says, I just want to be a warrior maiden and go on adventures. I don't want to fall in love, especially not with George or John. They'll ask me to give them parts of me. I want to keep me for myself. I don't want to give me away. Look at my father. He never really got over my mother's death. They told me when he died last month that he was calling for her. He gave her part of himself and he just never got it back. That's not going to happen to me. And it's, like, you can you can definitely see where she's coming from. Like, she, granted, she's only, like, 14, 15 here. But you can totally see, like, she's, you know, she makes she's making sense. Like, you can see why she wants to avoid these kind of relationships, especially in her line of work or her future line of work, which is going to be very dangerous. It You know, it makes sense for her at the moment anyway to not want to have two closer relationships with people because they could die, she could die. And then where does that leave her if she can't get over it you know obviously it's not a realistic way to live necessarily but you can see where she's coming from and also now we know that her dad died recently and her third fear is roger and she goes on this fucking rant and essentially is like you know what i fucking hate him hate that guy dude sucks because the goddess is about to leave and she gives alana a gift which is important Otherwise I wouldn't bring it up. She reaches into Alana's campfire and pulls out an ember and hands it to her. And it's got like a, like a sort of a layer of glass or crystal around it and a little loop to put a chain through. So she doesn't tell her what it's for. She's just like, here's a token of my favor. Whoa. And then fucks off into the mist. So back at the palace, uh, Alana names the cat Faithful and he's kind of her little sidekick, her little shadow. They are inseparable. The international there's this, uh, there's some international unrest sort of unfolding. Uh, Neighbouring country, is, there's rumours that they want to take back some valley that used to be theirs. And so this country sends a delegation to Tortal. And as squire to the royal heir, Alana has to go to a lot of social functions. One of these parties, um, a discussion escalates and gets a little out of hand. And so Jonathan offers up Alana to duel against one of the visiting visiting knights. And the fight itself isn't that important to the story, but the build-up gives us some nice little details. So we get a call back to the Black City, and Alana recalls, or is it Miles, somebody anyway, um, recalls the Bashir reaction to that. So in the last book, we didn't get any of the fallout. No, it was just, you know, they they had the battle, and then they talked about her being a girl, and that was it. So... Now we know that when they when Jonathan and Alana came back to Persopolis, that the Begier were like they, they knew that something had happened and they were like bowing in the streets to to these two youths riding back into the city. So it was a it was a really big deal. They effected some really big change there. We also learned that Alana has been receiving private tutoring for her fencing, because she's that good. Uh, we get some vaguely ominous behaviour from Alex, which is again important foreshadowing. I know I've mentioned this before, but we're getting to it. Uh, and Alana's confidence has grown significantly in the last book, where she was constantly doubting herself and her abilities, pretty much because of her gender. This time, she's she's stretching and getting ready for this bout, and she looks over there over at this guy, and says that he's he's pretty calm. He's not nervous. And she thinks to herself that she would teach him how to be nervous. And I'm like, girl, yes, you are the best. get it. So technically she loses the bout because her opponent draws first blood. He cuts her, nicks her sword arm or whatever. So he's won, but he's a super douchebag. So he aims to like finish the job as it were. And since Alana loves chivalry, she's pissed off. She switches her sword to her non-dominant hand and proceeds to beat the shit out of this guy. So everyone's like, woo! Go Squire Allen! And then we switch to some Roger narrative. I think we only get this like two or three times, where we're not getting the story from Alana's perspective. But it kind of just serves to basically confirm that, yeah, he's totally a bad guy. So yes, the sweating sickness was definitely him, confirmed confirm that yes he used magical persuasion to make jonathan go to the black city his motivation is that he wants the throne he knows that alana's sword is magical and probably the cat too yes the cat is magical uh he can talk to people but only when he wants them to understand him and he acknowledges that squire allen is a threat and he needs to be done away with as quickly and as naturally as possible so he's out for blood uh jonathan's birthday His 19th birthday is coming up. So Alana goes into the city to see George to pick up Jonathan's gift from her and Tom, the Lord of Trebond, now that their dad's dead. Uh, They briefly discuss the current political climate and Roger. And then all of a sudden, George starts dropping some serious romantic hints. He's like, how old are you, girl? She's like, I'm 15. You know that. You know, I just had my birthday. And he's like, oh, you know, we, we marry as young as 15 here in the city. And Alana quite rightly shuts him the fuck down. She's like, what are you on about? I No, I got other things to worry about right now. So he backs off and she gets ready to leave. And he's like, oh, I'll walk you back as far as the palace gates because, you know, you're, you're carrying valuables. You'll have your arms full. I'll go with you. And on the way, Alana reflects on how she... She really loves that she can genuinely be herself with George, which is important because she's still figuring out who she actually is. And then <sighs> fucking George fucking, you know, just, I need a oh. So they stop. They're about, they're about to part ways. And Alana's got her hands full and George kisses her while her hands are full. And he knows that he has massively crossed the line. Like, he says, he's like, I'm doing this now because your hands are full and you can't kill me. I'm like, dude, no, 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 George, we liked you. And she, and Alana is pissed, so, so pissed. She's like, how fucking dare you? And, like, the issue was not so much that he kissed her, but that he intentionally did it while she couldn't do anything about it. Consent is key, George. Consent is fucking key. Ugh. I was rooting for you, George. You're cool, we liked you. Ugh. Anyway, Jonathan's birthday party happens, and Alana meets Delia of Eldorn, and Alana—she's a mega babe. Like you can just tell, she is fucking hot. And Alana immediately dislikes her. Uh, and, and Delia pretty much, her character exists almost solely as a source of conflict. And spoiler alert, kind of to make Alana realise that she's feelings for Jonathan. So Alana meets Delia, she's introduced as Jonathan Squire. It's all very awkward because everybody at court knows that Squire Allen has a very particular aversion to meeting young ladies at court um and it makes obviously alana super aware of her gender she so she fulfills her social obligations has a dance with delia and then fucking bails and on her way out she runs into miles and miles kind of just gives her a little bit of advice to be a little bit wary because some women like to break up men's friendships which is it's foreshadowing but i'm like i don't don't know any of those kinds of people. I don't think. I really hope that none of my friends are those kinds of people. But I assume they exist because people are the fucking worst. I mean, I've, I don't think. I'm pretty sure I've never caused any rifts in my partner's friendships. I have stolen some of his friends for sure. But that's just because I'm way cooler than him. So winter, winter arrives. And we get Alana's aversion to the cold, which I am 100% down with. I fucking hate the cold. It's winter here right now. And being cold makes me very, very cranky. Like, if I'm cold, I'm just a heinous bitch to be around. But anyway, Alana's like, oh, bird, it's chilly. I wonder what it would be like to snuggle up with Jonathan. Get a girl. Uh, Roger makes his first attempt on Alana's life, but it's pretty lame. It is utterly unsuccessful. Alana fends that off pretty easily. Alana continues to hate on Delia for doing exactly what Miles said. She's been causing a lot of conflict among Alana's friends. And she has her first big fight with Jonathan. Because Delia's smart. She knows what she wants. She knows how to get it. Divide and conquer. And everyone's like obsessed with Delia. So this kind of results in Alana spending a bit more time with Alex, who just so happens to be immune to her charms. And they're having a yarn one day and it comes up in conversation that they're kind of keen to test their skill against each other. They're both very good swordsmen, and they both know it. And they both know what it's like when, when you're that good to have everybody watching and sort of just just waiting for you to make a mistake. So they go find a practice court. They gear up. It's chill. It's whatever. Alana's excited to spare. spare spa against her friend. They begin, and it is immediately not chill. Um, <laughs> Alana quickly realizes that something's very wrong, so she... Attempts to end the bout quickly, and Alex breaks her collarbone. And in that moment, Kalana realizes that she can't stop him, and he's going to kill her. But this is only book two in a quartet, so obviously she doesn't die. Miles turns up and pretty much tells Alex to clear off. And she mulls things over, like how Alex used to be Roger's squire, blah blah blah. But she kind of decides that there's no point really uh, wasting too much time effort thinking about it right now because she has no proof of anything. So she just puts it off. This season's turn, and almost a year after Jonathan's birthday, the aforementioned international unrest is ramping up. And also George's feelings have been ramping up. He's been making it abundantly clear there's a raging boner for Alana. He hasn't done anything exactly. He hasn't kissed her again, but Alana can see it in his eyes and it freaks her the fuck out. But we already know that. Like, we know that she's terrified of intimacy. Any kind of intimacy, really. It's 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 one of her biggest fears. We've we've been told this already. So that's... It's not that weird that it's freaking her out. But he's at least kind of maintaining some boundaries. Ugh. Damn it, George. Uh, but there's no time to worry about that. Because it's war. Alana is going into battle. It's her first war. And she's not even 16. Not quite. So they're getting ready to go. They're having, like, final inspections. And due to a last-minute... Incident: The appointed general for this campaign is too injured to lead and is replaced with. Boom, boom, boom. Who else would it be, Duke Roger? Alana is surprisingly slow on the uptake for this incident, given how suspicious of him she is, and we get that ex- that is explained later why she's so slow to connect the dots. But thankfully, on this particular occasion, uh, George has snuck into the palace to see her off, and he pretty much spells it out for her. He also (laughs) completely lays his cards on the table, spells out why he's in love with her, tells her that he wants to marry her someday. Someday. He's he's prepared to wait. He's not in a rush, and he's never going to bring it up again. He just had to tell her how he feels before she leaves in case she doesn't come back. So he kisses her again, and this time... She's okay with it. She's thought about it the last time, and even though he was being a little shit, uh, she's, just, she's realized actually she quite likes it. So while we do not forgive George for how he went about it the first time, we move on because Alana's okay with it. So whatever. She's still uncomfortable with all the feels, but she's like, kissing's nice. And she's not wrong. Kissing is nice. When it's all consensual and above board, so they go to war. Uh, I'm gonna skip over like so much detail in this part because just like, positioning of troops and side characters and battle stuff and blah. It's just, it's just, it's just kind of a waste of time for me to explain it to you. Read the books, guys. Read the books. So, so she settles into camp life. Uh, she's training with the soldiers. She has lessons with Miles. Uh, she makes some of friends among the men. And then eventually she gets restless because she hasn't seen any fighting yet. Uh, but others have. So she goes to offer her services at the healer's tents. And she gets her first proper taste of war there. Uh, it's it's pretty grim. She completely tires herself out trying to save as many people as possible. And uh, by the end of the day, she, she passes out. Which is a lovely excuse. For Jonathan to take her back to camp riding double. And she gets to sneak in a little bit of snuggle time with the prince. Uh, she goes to get some food, runs out the back of the tent, and throws up. Jonathan sees it, and he's like, you know, it's fine. She's like, oh, God, you must think I'm such a sissy. But like, we already know that he does not think that. For all that I do not like Jonathan, we know that he totally respects her as a soldier. And he says that he threw up, too, after his first skirmish. And so we have this little brief moment that's just a really nice human moment where they're like, yeah. This sucks. And it sucks for everyone. Like, you know, this is not... This is the glory of war. Welcome to the jungle. So then there's a... Not long after that, there's an attack on the camp. And it's the biggest so far of the season, of this campaign. There's this kind of little moment of... Jonathan's kind of like, wants Alana to stay behind. And she's like, obviously no. (laughs) Like, I'm coming with... And that's kind of like the first indication that we get of Jonathan's interest in Alana not being entirely platonic, perhaps. So Alana goes into her first ever battle, makes her first kill, and has absolutely no time to appreciate the gravity of that event in the moment because it's war. She saves John's life again, and the enemy is pushed back. So Alana, she, she got injured sometime in the skirmish. She didn't realize, uh, and she's losing a lot of blood, and she passes out. When she comes to, it's three days later. She's in the infirmary, and Jonathan has already started her healing to make sure that no one else got close enough to uncover anything that they shouldn't. And he, the, he's sort of updating her on what's happened over the last three days, and then Jonathan kisses Alana, and she's like, what? Thankfully, they are saved by Faithful, who comes in and is like, <coughs> someone's coming. And then Miles walks into two very embarrassed young people, and is just kind of like, "Hey, you're awake." (laughs) It's just, it's just. I would love to see to see that scene like in like if it was to have these books made into like a TV series and to see that scene because I just feel like it would be very hilarious. Um. So is she's out of action for a while while she recovers, and she's on sentry duty one night when who should come out to visit her. But Roger, he's just come out for a chat. And I really like this scene as well, actually, because they're kind of, they're both almost all cards on the table. Like, they're they're being as upfront with each other as they possibly can without outright becoming enemies. And it's just, it's a really lovely little dance between the two. Uh, and, And Roger pretty much tries to buy Alana off. He's like, you know, if you be my friend... Life could go well for you. You know what I'm saying. And and they part. Alana's just like, no, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, And they part ways less than friends. So Roger leaves, and then a fog comes up. Faithful falls asleep. Alana's nose itches, which means sorcery. She can't wake Faithful, and then she's knocked out from behind. So word gets back to camp that Squire Allen and two others have been kidnapped. And Jonathan freaks the fuck out and almost spills a line of secret. And Miles stops him and is like, dude, stop talking. They have a little chat and Jonathan is like, oh my God, you know, you know. But Miles is the coolest and is just like, I can wait Alan to tell me himself, you yeah. know, because Miles is the best. We love Miles. Alana comes too. She's with two other captives. She she picks the locks. She has like a lockpick tucked in her belt, handy dandy. She picks the locks on uh, the other two shackles, but hers are magic, so it doesn't work. Uh, her captives turn up and she distracts them so that the other two can escape. It's pretty obvious that she's the main target of this kidnapping. Uh, But anyway, Jonathan turns up with a rescue party and they take Alana's captors back as hostages and they ransom them for peace. Yay, the war is over. Alana has survived her first taste of war. Ta-da! Okay, so after the war, Alana goes to see George's mum, Mistress Cooper. And I really, really like their relationship. It's a pretty important relationship because, as we mentioned before, Alana never knew her own mother. She has no female friends or companions as as a male and she definitely doesn't have any female friends who know her as a female she never had she probably never had any female friends back at trebond when she was a child so this this her relationship with george's mom is is really important and and they and you get to see that in the book like it goes into more detail it would be a waste of time for me to do it yeah it's really nice she she opens up about about Jonathan, because he's been being super weird ever since they got back. She's like, oh, you know, he's hot and he's cold. He's yes, then he's no. He's in, then he's out. He's up and he's down. Not yet, but, you know, we'll get there. Um, But, yeah, he's just, he's been a fucking weirdo. You know, who hasn't had a friend that they've made out with and then all of a sudden he's just been a bit of a fucking little bitch. (laughs) But she's actually there because she wants... Mistress Cooper to show her how to dress like a girl, which is a very big deal. She wants to explore her gender, like she's 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 like you know I've I've been looking at you know I see the queen and I see her ladies wearing pretty things and I'm like I like pretty things, which is a huge like turnabout for her. But it's really cool and we and I think this is like like a really this is one of the reasons why I think Alana is such an important character for young girls to read because she's she's a total tomboy. She wants to do all the traditionally masculine things. She wants to do all the boy stuff. But at the same time, she's like, but I like pretty things too. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, we're definitely, like, young girls are fed this ideal of, like, I, like, this, like, you know, this whole idea of, like, oh, not being, like, other girls and, like, hating the colour pink because it's painted as a particularly feminine colour and it's cool to hate on traditionally feminine things. And Alana's like, she's, she really like, she breaks down that whole thing. She's like, she is a warrior and she can be feminine sometimes. And that is fine. You can do, stuff can do two things. In the words of Jake Peralta, stuff can do two things. You can be a badass warrior woman and you can wear pretty dresses and wear makeup and that's fine. (laughs) But... But yeah, so she's, she's still figuring it like, and you know, she's, she's only 15, 16, whatever. So she's still figuring out what, what being a woman means to her. And, and she just, you know, she just wants that opportunity to, to explore that side of herself. And the only safe kind of space for her to do that is with the, with her friend's mom, (laughs) you know, she's, You definitely kind of get this sense, like this is, I think this part is the first kind of scene where you get this feeling that she's getting, Alana's getting a little bit tired of being Squire Allen and she just wants to be Alana. Whoever or whatever that means, she wants to be herself, which is fair. So she starts dressing, like um, George's mom helps her out, she gets her some women's gear as she calls it. And she starts dressing as a woman more often, uh, going into the city with George's mum, wearing a wig. um, Because she's got red hair and purple eyes. Like, she kind of stands out. So she wears a wig. Both George and Jonathan see her in a dress and are pleasantly surprised with what they see. Winter comes. Again, as it does. And it's a bad one. Like, one of those winters where wolves start coming into villages because there's not enough game for them to hunt. And uh, the king orders a hunt. So everyone goes out looking for these wolves. Uh, and Alana is attacked by a massive, massive wolf. She kills it, and then she sort of, like, grips the, the ember stone that the great mother goddess gave her. And we finally see its purpose. As she's holding it, she sees on this wolf that she's just killed an orange glow is fading as it dies. Bum, bum, bum. So she does some further experimentation to confirm. And we can see that she clearly doesn't uh, fear her magic as much as she used to. Because she does this whole thing with like turning a shirt into a log or something. Like it's nothing. She's just like, whatever. So she's definitely, you know, she's she's coming to grips with herself as a whole. Which is just really, really awesome. Oh, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but orange is the color of uh, Roger's magic. So, you know, attempt number two on Alana's life. Oh, wait, no. Uh, three. That is number three, actually. Uh, so her 17th birthday comes along, and it is almost time for her ordeal of nighthood. It's only just over a year away. And she decides in the evening to go for a walk out in the garden in her women's clothes, and she runs into Jonathan, and they start making out, and she's totally into it. And then he starts unlacing her dress, and she's like, um, fucking no, no and there's this kind of like a little a little back and forth where she's like obviously freaked out because he's just like massively jumped the gun and so he's like okay sorry helps her to like put her dress back together and then then Jonathan says surely you've realized all along this had to happen and then blah blah, blah. go away before i change my mind and i'm like sorry Ch- sorry um change your mind about what about letting her go like what the fuck do you think you're gonna do jonathan she could kill you and she wouldn't but she could oh this is yeah i don't like jonathan he's a dick (sighs) so alana is very shaken up she goes back to her room she has a little bit of a freak out um but not about the same thing that I'm freaking out about, um, but she she decides that she does want to be with Jonathan, and so when she hears him come back into his room, she goes to him, and they get it on. So she has a little summer of love, and we get another we get another Roger scene. Um, just after this, all all this scene really does is just it just shows us that Delia is a bit of a a Roger sycophant, and she's really pissed off that she seems to have lost her sway over Jonathan. So we know that Alana and Jonathan are exclusive. He's totally ditched Delia and she is not pleased about it. (laughs) So the, the Queen gets sick again and Alana discusses her suspicions regarding Roger with Miles. This is another conversation where nobody actually uses names and it's all sort of like dancing around the subject, but it's so close that they might as well use names. But, (laughs) so, yeah, she's like, "Mm, suspicious, and and, and Miles agrees he also suspects the same things, but he cautions Alana because they have absolutely zero evidence, and Roger's way too powerful to be levelling accusations at without some really solid evidence. And she comes pretty close to telling Miles the truth about herself, but uh, she just can't quite bring herself to admit that she's been lying to him for years right at that moment. <laughs> so we get uh, yet another attempt on Alana's life. We're up to four now. This one's also pretty pathetic. Many of these attempts have been really, really lame. Uh, she, she kind of gets drawn into a bet with Alex. He's like, Oh, you know, I bet you 10 gold nobles that you can't even ice skate one lap around the pond without falling over. And she's like, Ugh, pride, pride, Yes, I can. So she falls through the ice. She's, she's like, skating around. She's almost back to the star, and she falls in. So she almost drowns. But, like, also not really, because there are so many people there, and they're all watching her, because she's made this bed. So it was unlikely that she was going to drown that quickly. Like, she was... Everyone, people were there. People were aware immediately as it happened. So <laughs> she was... I don't think she was ever really in any real danger of drowning. They... When she's pulled out, Jonathan goes to, like, check where she fell through, uh, and he notices that there was salt thrown on the ice, which is how she fell through, even though the ice had been frozen solid for weeks, as Alex states. So, uh, Alana is is getting real tired of all these bullshit accidents that keep happening to her. So, she... Sends a message to Tom to come to the capital. But the messenger is killed. So Alana decides to go see him herself. And George goes with. So Tom is not... She gets there and she hasn't seen Tom properly in quite a while. She saw him like a year or so ago at their dad's funeral. But they haven't really had time to catch up in a while. Uh, and And he's it kind of makes me laugh because like... He's got a beard. It says straight away that Tom's got a beard. But Alana... And then they're twins, supposedly twin brothers, but Alana, you know, even if she shaved every day, she'd still have, like, a bit of a shadow. Like, there'd be some hint of stubble, but she doesn't, obviously. And, and still, this does not raise any kind of, like, suspicions for some people. Like, oh, yeah, they're brothers, even though one of them clearly has absolutely no hint of any kind of facial hair at all. Not even, like... A stray, scraggly pube on her face. Nothing. Just nothing. <laughs> that makes me laugh. But, um, but Tom is not particularly well-liked at the City of the Gods because he's been playing dumb for years, pretty much just to throw off the people that have been watching him uh, on behalf of Roger. And now he's just passed his uh, mastery examinations, which are pretty intense, uh, according to Alana Usually those wouldn't be sat until someone was about 30, like at least 30 years old, and they're 17. So, so, you know, everyone now knows that he's been lying for years, and so they don't really like him. Also, it means that he's pretty fucking powerful. So Alana asks him to come to the palace as soon as he's completed his mastery, because he's still got, like, two more things to do, to protect Jonathan while she's gone after her ordeal. And Tom seems seems kind of destined for a life of solitude, which makes Alana really sad, which is a change because she's been working for that very same thing. Like her goal has been to go off on solo adventures as a knight errant. And now that she sees her brother kind of heading for like that kind of life, like a life alone, she's like, oh, that's really sad. And I don't want that for him. Which is kind of sweet because she's at least, even though she still plans to go off on her own, she's made friends. She's developed some really strong relationships with people. And and I think that's kind of like just starting to dawn on her. On the way home, uh, her, Alana and Georgia are attacked. They, they're ambushed by some guys on the road. And they dispatch them without too much trouble. And Alana, she's like questioning one of them. There's like one left alive, and she's like, "Who's that you? Who's that you?" And then he starts choking, and it's kind of like a Darth Vader choke grip kind of situation. Uh, so she she grabs her Ember necklace, and she can see just as this guy's dying, traces of orange fire fading from all of the assailants. Boop, boop, boop. So on, so like Rogers really ramping things up in the get rid of Squire Allen campaign. Uh, on on Alana's 18th birthday comes around and her friends adorn her with gifts intended for their for their hero to be and um, I'll just get the page because I can never remember all the things that they actually get for her okay got it got it okay so they got her and these are some pretty like pretty expensive gifts uh, so they got her a light male shirt washed with gold a gold-washed helmet, a belt made of gold wire picked out with amethysts, soft kid riding gloves, a gold-trimmed sheath for lightning and a matching dagger, and gold-washed male leggings to match the shirt. Uh, Also, George gave her a black opal ring set in pale gold, and Miles gave her a complete outfitting for for, um, Moonlight, made of well-worked leather trimmed with gold, and it's got a special cup attached for Faithful to sit in. And it's very lovely and sweet. And Alana has a little bit of a cry because these are really, really beautiful gifts. And she's like, oh, man, I had no idea that like that you guys all felt so strongly about me. And they're like, well, yeah, you're going you're gonna to be a hero. We can all see that already. Like, you have to have a proper outfit if you're going to be a, a true hero. So that night, Jonathan tells Alana that he loves her and she loves him too. But she doesn't want to talk about it, and she kind of already low key knows that long term they can't be to, they they won't work out long term. She can't marry him. Um, so before her her ordeal of knighthood is rapidly approaching, and she has to take a ritual bath as part of the ordeal and be instructed in the code of chivalry while doing so. So she has to tell someone about her being a girl so that it's not a total shock. So she tells Gary. Uh, who she really is, and he thinks it's hilarious. He's just like, this has been one huge prank, and I love it. Thank you for including me. (laughs) So we're, we're building up to her ordeal, and she's, you know, doubts and fears and all, you know, very understandable emotions. Day arrives, and she has to hold vigil through the night. So she has to sit in this chapel and kind of just meditate all night. And she spends the whole night reflecting on the last several years of her life, she she's thinking about Corum and how he's raised her, and how she's really excited to be to be going on an adventure with him soon. Um, she thinks about Tom. She thinks about John, and she's like, you know, she thinks that you know she would she can see herself marrying him, but also it wouldn't work. Um, she thinks about the goddess and why has she been chosen? What is what is the plan for her? She thinks about Roger of course and she's just she's having some time, some a little moment of sort of indecision like she's she's spent her whole life thus far working towards this moment towards becoming a knight and then going on adventures and now that the time has come and she's kind of like but I kind of want to stay like she's you know she's having like a, a, a small dilemma the dawn arrives and that's when it's time for her to enter the chamber Uh, And the Chamber of the Ordeal basically makes you live through your worst fears. So for Alana, that is the cold, being helpless against death, spiders, drowning, and Roger. So she has to go through this whole experience without making a single sound. And if she can get through that, then she's passed the test. When it comes to the addressing Roger part of her fears, it, it kind of shows her this image, but she can't actually see... What's happening it's kind of blurred out and she's she's trying to get through this screen kind of thing to see this what's happening on the other side and she rips through it and it actually it's kind of like it's she's it's like ripping through a mesh but it cuts into her hands and she, eventually she manages to rip a hole in this veil and she can see all too clearly what what roger's doing and his plan basically and she sees this vision of jonathan dead and he's like lying on a, on a pyre or a bier or whatever. And Roger takes the crown off his head and puts it on his own. And she's just like, nah! but know anyway, she passes the ordeal. Uh, she, she has her knighting ceremony and Tom has arrived just in time to present her shield and everybody cheers for her, which is super cool. And afterwards they, they take her shield back to her room and, and Tom shows her. So it's, it's got her, so her shield obviously has like her, the Tribon coat of arms on it. And they take it back to her room and Tom shows her the true image on it. So he's like, you know, actually, once once you reveal your true identity, this is going to change and this is what your shield's going to show. And so it's a Lioness Rampant, which is so appropriate and also the name of the fourth book in the series. And she's like, yeah, I like that, Lioness Rampant. I like it. So, so they go uh, and partake in the midwinter feast that night. There's like two weeks or something of midwinter celebrations and feasting. So they, so they go. And Alana looks up at the queen, who's still pretty unwell. She's she's kind of just she's having this moment of clarity, and she's like, wait, hang on. So she touches the ember stone while looking at the queen, and sure enough, the queen is glowing with a faint orange fire. So Alana's like, right, we're doing this. I have to do something right fucking now. So she, she walks out she breaks into Roger's rooms and she finds, she finds a, basically a voodoo doll of, of the queen. And she's, she's like sitting under a, under a stream of water, which causes the wax figure to slowly degrade and waste away. She also finds copy, like little moments of herself and several others wrapped up in a veil. And she, and so she finally understands that this is why she couldn't, she couldn't, piece together what was going on every time she tried to think about it she'd kind of just brush it off and go well i haven't got evidence like she she just her suspicions never progressed any further than idle wondering. and now she finally yeah she finally understands why that was the case so she takes her evidence back to the feast and presents it to the king and queen in front of the entire court and accuses roger right then and there He's like he's like you know, who's oh, accusing me of this. I'm like you know tries to spins spends some yarns, and he can see that no one's buying it. So Roger demands a trial by combat right then, which is smart considering Alana is still exhausted and injured from her ordeal. So while while Alana's getting ready in her room, uh, she she tells Miles the truth about who she is, and he's like, "Cool, thanks. I've known for years." So. Thank you for finally letting me in on the secret. <laughs> she she goes down to the um whatever the court and they they begin the trial and Roger uses sorcery to try and make it look like he's got two swords and so so she won't know when he's attacking with the real sword but that doesn't really matter because it's, it's totally negated by her ember stone. She can just see which one's the magic one cuz it'll be glowing. Uh, But awkwardly, he cuts through her shirt and her special corset. So, like, everything freezes because he's, like, slashed her shirt and the corset underneath it, and it's kind of like her corset's kind of, like, slipping out the bottom of her shirt, and now, like, you can kind of see the outline of her boobs through her shirt, and everyone's like, what the fuck is going on? What? (laughs) Everyone is agog. (laughs) So so Tom steps in to explain the situation while alana fixes herself up and she's actually pretty relieved she's like well it's done now don't have to worry about it anymore and roger like loses his shit he goes crazy and alana's like no how fucking dare you try and make like make this out like you're the one you're the victim here like fuck off fuck no and she pretty much just like hacks him up she does the thing again where she, she switches sword into her left hand and she's just like, fuck you, nah, and actually just, like, hacks him down. And, and she realizes that, like, everyone, she looks around and everyone's kind of staring at her, like, horrified, but also she realizes that she's just killed her greatest enemy, the most powerful sorcerer in the realm, and, and she's just killed him. And and that's that's pretty big. And this takes her a long time to to make her peace with that. But that is for the next book. Um, but the time now, you know, she's she's knighted. She's defeated Roger. Everything's kind of everyone. She's revealed her identity. And so now it's it's time for her to do what she set out to do when she was ten years old. She's she's it's time to go. So her friends are her friends. It's it's quite a short like wrap up um, to the book. But her friends are all disappointed because. They feel that they don't know who Sir Lana is. They're like, but, but, <laughs> but we feel like we don't know you. And she's like, I'm the same me just telling the truth now, but everything else is the same. So don't worry about it. I'll be back. And and they understand that, that she needs to figure herself out. <laughs> this is, and, and the very, very like last bit, like as they're saying their goodbyes, everyone's like, you know, Coram, look after her, look after Alana. And just as you are about to go, Korra's like, You know, all this time I thought that the whole point of riding with a knight was that she was going to look after me? Uh. And it just makes me giggle every time. Um, so so they, they, they ride out, and she's like, She's full Bilbo bag, and she's like, Let's go find an adventure. I'm going on an adventure. And they ride off into the sunset. And 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 that's that's book two. Alana's a knight now, and it's time to have some fucking adventures. I I think this is my this is not my favorite book of of the of the quartet. I, I think I'll, I'll rank them after I've finished after I've done the fourth book. I'll rank my order of preference. But this one does have a lot of a lot of personal growth in this one. I. I do. I do really like this one. I think when I was a kid reading these books, this was like almost my least favorite. But reading it now, I, I enjoyed it a lot, a lot, lot more. Just for the the development that we get from Alana, it's 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 a good read. And obviously, go read it. Um, I try to. I try to. I'm trying to kind of make these podcasts so that you don't have to read the books to follow along but also so that if you decide you do want to read them I won't totally ruin them like you're still going to know what happens but it'll still be worthwhile to read them so hopefully and hopefully I'm getting that across obviously feedback is also always appreciated uh you cannot find us on iTunes just yet still <laughs> I still have some things to sort out there but as soon as as soon as I'm on iTunes I will do an announcement. I will make a whole episode dedicated to that. We when once we're on the iTunes and the Spotify, it's just some technical issues that need sorting out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at fem underscore podcast f e m m e underscore podcast or lowercase. You can email me at femfnpodcast at gmail.com, dot or lowercase, all one word. And our cover art is by the wonderful Adam Price, and you can find him on Instagram at This Is Your Neighbor. There is a link in my Twitter, so if you go check out my Twitter feed, you can find a link to it there. But This Is Your Neighbor, T H I S I S U R N E I G H B O U R, for the cover art. And that's it for episode two. Next up, we have. Uh book three is The Woman Who Rides Like a Man. And we will get some adventures in that one, let me tell you. So tune back in. Uh I will try to get it done quicker this time. Sorry for the delay on this one. I've been having some mental health stuff this week. So I think let's say a week. One week from now, episode three will be out. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time. Bye.